0: Hey, so glad you're here. Hope you're doing great. And here we are. And the podcast has changed direction for the time being. Um, Looking forward to having some fun with this. And I am doing a series of interviews with people. And it's going to be you getting to know them And that is like a big part of the interview, but also just how they think about growth and where they're at and what's happening. And I think their story is interesting. So I look forward to you meeting them and and learning more about them. Um, In the middle of those interviews, we're also going to be talking about the big thing that I've been working on this year, and that is my next book, and its release. And so we are talking about the stuck book, pick this up when you don't know what to do next, and it'll be at thestuckbook.com. What I'm really excited about is you can pick this up and learn right where you are and figure out what to do next. Uh, so maybe you won't resonate with the beginning part because you need to get to another part. But what we're doing in this interview that's different is my friend is actually interviewing me. So he's in one of the interviews. His name is David Sherry. He's the founder, CEO of Death the Stock, and he'll be interviewing me. So let's flip the table. Chris,
1: how's it going, man?
2: Dude, very, very well. It's Friday. Woo!
1: Yes, yes. And I'm uh, very happy to be able to talk to you. Chris has been somebody in my uh, career probably about three years ago, I think is when we first met. Um, But I'd say almost all of my personal development is Thanks to the spark that you gave me way back when three years ago uh, in some of our first kind of sessions together in coaching. So we've worked together about three years, and I just wanted to have you on the show so you could share some of your teachings with the listeners of the first four years. Um, and we're going to kind of get into a continuation of some of the shows that I've been doing here around mindset. And Chris is a perfect person to uh, talk with about this topic. So Chris, I, I figure we could kind of start by just having you explain a little bit about your journey. Um, kind of, you know, the short version of how you got started. Yeah. What, what are the past four years look like for you?
2: Yeah, totally. And I just, you referenced like the teachings and and us working together and of all the students that I had in the belly dancing class, you stood out (laughs) as the premier student and uh, it's been my dream. I still can't believe it. It's been my (laughs) life
1: dream to to become a professional belly dancer.
2: (laughs) Um, So the last uh, four years, yeah. You know, for me, it started really though about 9 years ago and it's it's deep loss that tends to wake you up when the when the bad happens and so that's why um you know for my own journey I was like what is going on I went from this place of a lot of oh man I've accomplished the goals the wealth the dream house to what is here nothing I can't buy groceries and the swing from the high to the low of that put me on a search and a journey of okay well if i'm not defined by these things who am i and a lot of people you know can get in circular reasoning on that question and for me it just started out with well who am i not and I felt like I crawled my way through a ditch for a long time, just studying and researching every, everything I could, and and developing my awareness, paying attention at a deep level to what was happening within me. That I began to formulate thoughts and ideas, uh, informed by history and research, and uh, different people that have thought on this for thousands of years. Uh, and my own, like, oh, this is what I'm noticing. This is how this works. And just started piecing that together, and helping myself with it. And then people started asking me for help, and then I started uh, helping more. And, and then the last four years, um, it's been really turning that up. So the last three years, I've done this work full-time, and uh, that's a crazy thing to think. As I say that out loud, I'm like, whoa, I can't believe that's happened.
1: Can Can you describe some of the actual kind of moves there? Like I think... That was a great breakdown of the, the kind of mental behind the scenes. Um, but piece that together for me when it comes to uh, some of the actions that you took to develop a coaching company um, and eventually make a living from it. Like how, how does the actual kind of work action piece overlap that story?
2: Yeah. So you mean like the actual building of the business?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So walk me yeah. through kind of how, um, you know, so you talked about how you hit this high in your life and then immediately there was kind of a low and you're like, is this all it is? And I'm um, through the pain. You were able to develop your own, uh, system for coaching others in that way. But w- what is kind of the business side or the action steps look like over the past?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, it starts with as simple as if you're changed by something, and it really does impact you. You will overflow it to others. Like it, you may not be an expressive personality, and and people have to get alone with you in a moment where you're really still, and then you start sharing. Uh, so you may not be overly evangelistic about your idea, but um, if if it's if it hits you, you can't help but share it at some level. And that's what happened for me. And I really started to get uh, just I, I saw the change that was happening in me, and and I was looking at that going, what, this is dramatic change. And I'm able to notice small things that weren't even on my radar, little reactions, little internal anxieties. And I could actually flip those into a positive direction. So what happened was I just started helping friends, literally one of my best friends, he's like the right hand guy for organization, him and his wife came and stayed at our house for like a weekend. And we just, not that it was a crisis point or anything, but we just took their relationship deeper learning some of the, or applying some of the principles I was learning. Um, So it was a number of consecutive, like just being generous with the overflow of what was happening in me, built uh, around me, people that were impacted by it, then they told others. So I started doing these like retreats, events, and friends brought friends. Um, And did that for a while, while it was like on the side. So by the time that I went into it full time, Um, everything that's come in, uh, into the business, like those first one and a half to two years was all referral because of people that I had helped. Um, now it's to the point where I've got enough resources out there and momentum with things that some come in through the different channels I have, but, uh, being generous and helping friends, you can't fake that. Like there's no BS there. There's no trying to sell somebody something. And then the next piece of that was Putting it together in a packaged way that people could take a bite and go, okay, if I do this with Chris for uh, 12 weeks, you know, at first it was if I go hang out with him for two days and it was these executive style retreats in these cabins. Uh, I'm going to walk away with these outcomes and these skills that will achieve that outcome. Uh, and then I took it and broke it down into uh, a weekly format. And then I said, okay, here's what we're going to accomplish if you do that. So it's the being generous. And then it's putting it together in a way that people can bite into it because a lot of people think that, um, they need to try to sell some open ended thing that just continues forever. And that's scary. It's like when my wife and I were first shopping for, uh, piece of furniture. We had money from the wedding and we were buying our first thing. And it was going to be this entertainment center just to organize the living room. Cause as a bachelor, I had a table in the middle of the living room with a 13 inch black and white. I think it was a black and white television may have been color. And this was, uh, you know, 18, 17 years ago and she couldn't pick it out. And she, and I said this to her, just pick the one that you'll love for life. (laughs) And she's like, I don't even know if I'll love you for life. (laughs) Uh, so, um, you know, I, I had to really think about the business like what's the next bite people can take? It doesn't have to be this huge thing. And uh that was massive. If I would have done that sooner, coupled with the generosity, I'd be a few years further down the road.
1: So I think what I want to start getting into in this show is Everything happens through this step by step process. Like nobody is just immediately becoming great at whatever it is that they do. And I think behind the scenes, there's a ton of work that happens both internally and externally that isn't always shown. And I think the idea behind the first four years Mm -hmm. is that we can kind of show people what it actually looks like when people are building their projects, uh, when people are trying, trying to start that business. And I feel like you're someone who's been on the ground level of that for other people. Like you get to see what other people don't get to see as a coach, as my coach, you've seen a lot of my lows, some of my highs, some of the, the strategy and kind of decision making that happens behind the scenes. I'm assuming there's a lot of patterns that you start to see come out from these conversations. And so um, I know you have a book that just uh, is coming out soon, which is about the seasons, which is kind of your methodology for helping people through decisions. But what I wanted to start Discussing is these patterns that you start to see as you're working with these different clients um, for what it looks like behind the scenes. Like, what are the patterns that you're starting to see as you're coaching entrepreneurs who are running million dollar companies to someone just starting to launch their blog or learn more about themselves?
2: Yeah, yeah. It's crazy how the pattern, if, if you discover something true, I would say discover, the way I like to say it is it's just a rediscovery of what's true. It's not necessarily something new. It, it has a transcendent simple quality to it that then people can customize. And the starting point is just being aware of what reality is. It's facing reality. Um, it doesn't matter whether that's multinational, that has offices in different countries and giant budgets, uh, or on the smaller end of who I work with where they're, where they're getting started and they're full of a lot of like, not sure, but ready to go take the hill. Um, and, and at at each step, it's like, what's reality today? What's going on right now? Where am I? Um, you know, at one point I had like six figures of, of debt from a bad business decision. And I would have to say that to myself out loud driving around like, Chris, don't forget you have this, you have to think, uh, in such a way not to be defeated by it or overwhelmed by it, but you know, you've got to play really smart here and make good moves, not to pressure myself in an anxious way, but just to wake me up that I wouldn't be so optimistic that I would forget, you know, that that's there. And so the awareness of, you know, okay, I've started and I don't have a profit margin on my product in such a way that allows me to grow this business or relax. I'm barely running on the edges here. Um, Or I'm putting in seven days a week and I'm tired. How much longer can I keep this up? Rather than figuring out how much longer you can keep this up, you face reality and you go, okay, if I don't have a rhythm that's sustainable, I'm going to hate the thing that I thought I would love because I'm going to hate what it asks of me. And the people around you are going to hate what it asks of you. Uh, so it's facing the reality of your schedule, facing the reality of your finances, facing the reality of your model and really being aware of that. Now that's like an external component. There's an internal component to that awareness too. And that is, you know, why do you feel like you've got to run it this way? What about you is saying that if I don't, uh, show people that I can do this, If that's the energy that's driving you, you may get pretty far. You most likely won't, but you may get pretty far. At some point, that's going to erode from within because you're not looking at what's happening inside of me as I go about this. This isn't something that I'm relaxed with. And I'm not talking about not doing hard work. We're going to do hard work. But if you're not relaxed with it and then you can't frame that to some excitement, then there's something that you're just not letting go of. So that awareness is I've got to let go. And that's the fall season. And if you can do that, you're going to go to the winter season, which means you get to go deep and study it. So So I'm going to let go of the model. Now I need to study other models. The
1: the first pattern that you're seeing as you're coaching people at every single stage is that they're not facing reality with where they are in life so typically that that sounds like it means that they're hiding from something either intentionally or subconsciously and so when you work with a client usually there's some big kind of elephant there that they're not facing and you help them see that accept it and then the next stage is about kind of helping them go forward is that is that accurate
2: Yeah, well, I would say this. Before they go forward, they've got to go deeper in because, you know, people talk a lot about, like, you've got to manage yourself, which I get, and I can talk about that and use that language. Uh, People talk a lot about, I've got to figure out how to get motivated or or productivity. I mean, if you write on productivity and, and how to get motivated, you know, you're going to have people very interested in that. The problem is you can't force motivation on yourself. It's got to come from within you unblock motivation. You don't hype yourself into it. If you hype yourself into it, it wears off. And so, you know, there's a misalignment of desire if you're not gravitating towards that work. Something about you overflowing in an unobstructed way who you are into what you do is fouled up somewhere. Uh, One of the ways I try to wake people up to this is I just say management only exists where desire is missing. So the only reason corporations have management Because desire isn't there. Um, nobody manages me to do what I do. I love what I do. Desire rages. Now there are times when I may would rather go for a run than finish the task at hand. And sometimes I finish the task and sometimes I go for the run. It's where's where is the moment for me? But I look at my kids with this. Like so they have hobbies, you know, one loves makeup, one loves video editing, one loves gymnastics. They also have chores. They have to do their chores to get their phone for the week. If they don't do their chores, they don't have their phone. I never have to create any kind of motivational structure for them to do their hobbies. I don't have to go in their room and go, hey, did you work on your video editing today? Did you work on your makeup skills today? Did you do your gymnastics? They love those things. There's no management there because desire is there. They don't love vacuuming and dusting and folding laundry. And they're not like, yeah, I get to do this. So we have management in place there. So for a lot of people, it's like face reality. That's the fall. You get to the winter. Now we need to lean in and go, where am I BSing myself? Where am I tricking myself about what I thought that I wanted that I'm not actually getting? And it's very, very difficult for a lot of people to get to their true desires because there's so many shoulds and should nots layered on top of that. So much of the cultural pressure, so much of the entrepreneurial myths, uh, whatever it is that they came out of as their family heritage and traditions, um, the number of business leaders I sit with and I'm like, well, you don't have to do it that way. You know, one of the guys I work with, SightShift, I love how he says this. He goes, well, who told you that? Who told you that? You know, over and over, let's get in and question it because we can't find the path forward
1: until we're honest about that. So it's interesting because I think a lot of what you're helping people do is almost like turn their turn their head to see the thing that they actually desire, whereas yeah. instead they're looking at the thing that they feel like they have to be doing but isn't actually what they uh, want to be spending their time on. I mean, I'm sure sometimes, though, there's there's got to be times where you have to actually face it. Like you mentioned um, when you had a lot of debt, it seems like part of that skill is actually facing the thing that you don't want to do. Um, but but is the answer then kind of still trying to have them look at it in a way that there's desire there? Like, is that the solution is you always want to kind of find some, um, motivating factor that's from within that lets you, uh, problem solve or, or head in the direction that you have to go in?
2: Absolutely. And, you know, maybe we've got to stir up a future picture of where you want to be. Um, and, and the key is the ordering and this can get dangerous for people if they're not paying attention to this. And here's what I mean. And I forget who came up with this first. I've heard a lot of people share it. So, but, but B do have, most of us approach goal setting from, I mean, I, I know Tim Ferriss shared it, but I'd heard it years before at a, at an event, um, before anybody knew who Tim Ferriss was. So it's been around, but a lot of people approach goal setting, like, I want to have the work freedom. I want to have the travel freedom. I want to have the financial freedom. So I'm gonna do the late night hustle. I'm gonna do the pushing myself to exhaustion. And then I'll be relaxed. I'll be happy. I'll be present. I'll be whatever it is they're aspiring to be. So so for me, it's just about flipping that process and getting people to go to the root of who they are. Let's focus on getting that identity dialed in now. Who are you? Who do you want to be, become the being? Okay. Overflows to the doing overflows to the having. So let's, let's flip the order on that. I mean, I have no problem saying on this podcast that, uh, I'm not where I want to be with housing. So we've been able to custom build a couple homes. We hit that giant dip and we had to, you know, climb back out of that. And, uh, you know, it, it's huge for our family, a pool. I know this is a first world problem, but I'm going to go ahead and be vulnerable with this. Uh, we love we love that, right? So I want to have a house with a pool. I currently don't, right? But that's not what drives me late at night to finish editing a book. That's not what drives me to wake up in the morning and not eat. And, and part of my routine, skipping room is anyway, but dive right into editing the next project. It's not to get the pull. It's because I want to be the kind of person who does the work. That's the overflow of who he is. I'm compelled by the mission, not to prove something, not to try to get something. It's, it's truly that desire. Now, I believe as I do more and more quality work, you know, and, and I've seen this pattern play out in my life a couple of times, the things that you want to have, Tend to happen, Um, and and I'm I'm using something like a house to try to really appeal appeal to everyone because we all have these some kind of base level desire, and it may not be a material thing. It could be just the freedom financially to travel when we want, whatever it is. But that's there for all of us. Just don't make that the thing. Don't be like I got to grind this out every night and hustle because I want to I want to own the football team that I want to own. Well, then you're not going to be a healthy whole person. There's just no way. The, the the carrot stick of that, you'll never catch the carrot. Because the times that I've thought that I would like having a custom built home sitting on the deck going, I've done it. I've built my dream home. I'm 27 years old. It was the second home we'd built. And I was like, this is all the feeling I get for this. It's not enough. And Jim Carrey said that one time. He's like, I wish everybody could have a million dollars to know it's not enough. So we've got to order it be do have and and you really learn that in the winter. The winter is when you peel away all your own BS, all the pressure of others, and you you study who you are, what you want to do.
1: So it sounds like, you know, part of it is getting in touch with your motivation, but you have to be careful because it also has to be a motivation that's healthy. Otherwise you'll find yourself in a tough spot uh, after you get there, which is potentially a huge waste of time uh, or energy in thinking that something's going to make you happy when it doesn't actually make you happy. But do you think that people, like, do? does everybody really have a desire um, all the time? Like, is everybody in that spot where they have something that they they feel compelled to reach towards or is sometimes it the case that you just don't have anything there like maybe you've just not been pursuing something for so long that it's just disappeared like how would somebody go about remembering even something um, that they might want to achieve or reach towards and then how do they go about understanding whether or not it's something that's healthy
2: yeah, great question. So the first, to stoke the desire. Second, whether it's healthy. Uh, yeah, there are people that are flat out asleep. Um, most of the people I get to work with, whether it's through speaking stuff or coaching or consulting with their organizations, are, are fired up and have desire. But inevitably, somebody will like hire me to work with their team. And then somebody on the team is like, not awake. Um, I remember one guy, I was working through desires with him and he was like, and he's like mid fifties and kids in college. And he's like, I've never really thought about my desires. I'm like, what? You're going to find those people in middle management. Not that I'm saying everybody in middle management is there. Definitely not saying that, but you're going to find those people oftentimes in middle management in larger corporate spaces because they've, or, or uh, single owner businesses. Like I, I was driving by a coffee shop that just opened near my house and I watched the owner unloading the sprinkles for the donuts. And I know that this is their second location. And, and I'm like, that tells me a lot of things. It tells me he may just be willing to roll up his sleeves and help because the main person who does the, uh, deliveries for him, um, can't do them that day. Or it tells me that he can't let go at a level that he needs to and develop uh, in a way that is healthy and keep his organization growing. Maybe he's just like super frugal and he's like, I'd rather do this myself than pay somebody. Either way, he's got two locations already. He's going to be stuck if he's the one doing those deliveries. And so uh, what's his desire? He may have traded that desire for what he was going to do with a coffee shop into now just surviving. And and, and again, I see this in middle management too. Um, the, the dreams have died. And now I'm not one of those cheesy guys that's just like, find your dreams and chase them. You've got to have a few components dialed in and it takes time. Um, there's a, a guy across the street. There's no way my neighbor would listen to this podcast, I wouldn't think. So I'm just filtering out in my brain as I talk through this. But uh, so he comes to the mailbox one day and he's like, hey, uh, my wife told me what you do. I haven't shared this with anybody. I need to get your advice. Uh, I've got 10 years of work left. I don't want to spend it at a computer. I'd like to deliver cards to people that are in hospice. My mom passed away, hospice or ICU. My mom passed away and it it meant so much to us to go out to eat and it was such an exhausting experience, you know, and she passed away through the hospice process. And so I would like to take restaurant gift cards and I do this now on my free time, but I'd like to make it my job to people that are in ICU and hospice places. I'm like, okay, so you want this to be your full-time job? Yeah. So, you know, I'm just doing some rough math with him real quick. I'm like, okay, let's say you make 120, uh, you know, after they've taken your taxes out, Knowing a little bit about what his job was after asking that. So, let's say you make 120K, you want to have a foundation where you make enough and you got to run this foundation so that you can pass these cards out full time. Well, you're going to need to bring in around 200K, just overhead, some assistant help, blah, 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 blah. So, you've got to bring in 200K. Now, to bring in 200K, you've got to be able to build a compelling story that people latch into and want to give to this cause. Have you spent years developing that craft? No. Okay. Would you obsessively spend the next couple of years developing the ability to tell stories and win people's hearts and minds? Um, And then is it fun to you to build an organization? Would you wake up and be like, I want to build this? Um, Because I hear the pain that's in your voice, that you want to alleviate some pain in a way that you were – Touched by, but are you willing to develop your skills to a level like a magician where you make the hard look easy, telling a story and motivating people? And then is it a sense of play for you to build an organization? So, what I do with people is really try to zero in that desire on, on pain, play, and magic. The overlap of those three, there's a sweet spot. And a lot of people stuck in corporate careers they don't like have developed those skills, but there's not really a sense of the pain or the purpose and the sense of the play. Some people are playing at their lives. They're not really building their business and growing their skills at a magic level. Maybe it's got a little bit of purpose. Um, a lot of the people I get to work with directly in the coaching that come to me are two of the three, and we're just moving them into that third one. So that's really what it means to awaken that desire. What's it look like for them to find a skill they want to develop at, develop, or they've already developed that they can harness better? It fits with something that they want to alleviate and make better in the world. And it can be small. It doesn't have to be this grand thing. Like I want everybody to have clean water. That's awesome. Not everybody is wired up that way. My I mean, my mine guess, isn't that.
1: I was going to say, my guess here is that that guy got scared and probably didn't pursue. I, If I had to guess, I'd say he didn't take a single next step past that. Um, and so I want to kind of explore, you know, is that him just being realistic? Like, is that, him looking at what it takes, which I think the framework that you're talking about is sort of the necessary component there. Um, Or was he thinking that it had to just go in a certain way, like he had to make a living off of it. And that was the criteria for which he would only let himself uh, pursue that. Like, should he just have done that on the side and been um, getting, get, get some gratification for just passing out cards on his own, even if there's no pay, like, Am I bingo. right? Did he, did he not yeah. take a single step? Because I, I imagine the minute someone hears the realistic point of view of how to do something, they shut off and it no longer um, continues to be a desire for them.
2: Yeah, bingo. And that's the second piece of this, because the first piece is what stokes the desire. The second piece of this is, you know, how do you go about it paying attention to, to motive in a healthy way? And, and this is the key piece. He didn't move a step beyond that to, as to what I know, but he gave me that at the beginning. He said, I don't want to spend the next decade, the last deca- decade of my work life sitting behind a computer. I want to go accomplish this cause and mission. And I'm like, awesome. So here's what it's going to take. Now, uh, I have had people like talk to me that way before, and um, it has motivated me to go after things that literally, I, I can think of things where it took me a decade to get to a magic level at the skill. Um, and, and, and here's the key idea. When, when something is inside of you that you want to give to others, it's more about what you can give than what you can get. And that's the thing you, I want to get in our interactions, David, I want to get from you. I want to get engagement. I'd like occasional encouragement. I'd like to see results, I'd like to know that the work is impactful and meaningful, but I'm showing up to impact you more than impress you. I'm there to give. And so what I tell people is we just want to think about it this way, not that you can nail it down this clear. Let's get that giving to 51%. Enjoy the getting of the 49%, but but show up to give. You're gonna be in situations where it's way less than that in the getting. But if you can do that, if there's there, if there's a compulsion there to either run with your mission or to support another mission that you very much believe in, because not all of us are going to run our own mission or support another mission you believe in, then you're showing up with a motive that, that we can trust you. It's safe, it's secure, it's solid. What makes a terrible, insecure leader is when they're 51% get, 49% give. Or worse, 99% get,
1: how, 1% give. How do you know if somebody... Um, okay, well, maybe that was part of the answer to this question, but how does someone know if they should be the one leading an organization or not? Is that the answer? If If they can say to themselves that I can give 51% and, uh, only expect 49. Yeah. I, you know,
2: for me, it comes down to, I do believe organizational leadership is a learnable skill. Um, there are things that aren't learnable skills, but organizational leadership and leading a team and motivating others, it's learnable. Uh, if you can help people believe that they can accomplish the goal with you and, and that goal is solid, awesome. And why are you there? You're there more than to get a good feeling It's to actually accomplish the result and move the needle. So, if you can be focused on the result more than you are the gratification you want to get from it, this is the huge thing. So, if he said to me um, in a moment of clarity and honesty and pushback, hey, as you've walked me through this, I don't want to alleviate the suffering of people that are in hospice more uh, than the pain of what it's going to take to learn those skills so I'm just going to stay as I am. Okay, that's fine. That's honest. Uh, y- you know, but if, if his desire is, I want to feel good about myself. I just want to feel like I have meaning and purpose. That's fine. I'm not going to shame that, but I'm going to say that's not enough because if the mission is only being approached for what you can get from it, at some point when it gets hard, you're either going to give up or you're going to get twisted up in a way that you start being being more of a taker than a giver. And, um, and that's when you become dangerous and insecure as a leader. That's when you're tricking yourself about your business model, about what your team thinks or feels, uh, when somebody's in that state, they're leaving a meeting, uh, only caring if people are matching the intensity of their personality, not really dialing into what are the results? Where, where do we have bad decisions being made? Where are our systems not working in an optimal way? Whatever that is. And I could talk forever about that.
1: So the the goal, when someone's stating what their goal is, it shouldn't be centered around me or I. It should be about some metric for impact to a customer or a community.
2: Yeah, exactly. I'm here to give it. Now, great things are done in the world because somebody feels like they don't measure up and they don't mean much. And this is their way of making a mark on the world. But f- for most people, if that's the way they're approaching it, at some way, they're, at some level, they're going to be dangerous. You know, I love the work that I do. I don't have to do the work that I do to feel whole. The work that I do is the overflow of how I live my life, and I get to help others with it. You know, if Elon Musk is like, I have to get people on Mars, or my life doesn't matter. He'll probably get great things done, but he's not going to enjoy getting there. Um, And I have no uh, idea about what his motives are because we only talk every other day. (laughs) Uh, You know, I I don't know him. He doesn't talk to me. I don't talk to him. But I would say that if, if there's an altruism there, and if nobody's perfectly altruistic, but if it's like 51%, I believe humanity will become extinguished. On planet earth and I need to get them to Mars. And 51% for him is showing up to give that, right? Well, that's sustainable in a, in a long format way, because then you're not going to get shut down when you have setbacks. And here's the key piece. You'll enjoy getting there because it feels good to give, right? When we're not doing it for an insecure reason. And uh, what really woke me up to this, because it goes back to awareness, the starting point was taking my now 13-year-old middle daughter to a birthday lunch at three years old. And I start sitting there thinking, you know, man, I need to check in with her and see if she's having a good time. But the questions that popped in my mind, not that I would have asked these out loud, were like, hey, don't you love your dad? Isn't your dad awesome? Because he took time off work and brought you to lunch in the middle of the day. And it was a lightning bolt in my brain of me going, Oh, this is about me trying to get from her more than me give to her. So that question then flipped to, hey, are you having a good time? Not because I need her to say that, right? I'm just asking, are you having a good time? What would make a good time for you? rather than me saying, hey, little three-year-old, you're responsible for the existential needs of my identity. Can you make me feel good about my place in this lonely, dark, scary world (laughs) and give me meaning? That's just too much pressure, right? And what we want to learn to do is notice the why, why we're going into that mission, what's driving
1: our engagement. Is that developable? Like, did you flip in that moment, and from then on, you were focused on giving more than you received? Um, is it something that grew over time? Is it is it there if the mission is natural and not there if it's something that you shouldn't be going after? Because I guess it even makes me just think for myself, like, I don't even know exactly how to uh, analyze whether or not that's uh, my stance in the projects and businesses that I'm in. Yeah.
2: Well, I think it comes down to the, uh, what people give you in response. Like if I have to do this, so it's successful and people praise me, if I have to do this so that people I work with go, you're the, you're the man, you're the woman. Uh, if I have to do this so that I can feel like, um, I've expressed myself in a way that makes me feel good now, um, there is some kind of reaction that we have to have that's going to, you know, distort our offering because it's going to be what we want, not what people need the most. Um, and so it doesn't matter what it is. I mean, I had that insight happen. And once you have a small moment of insight, your brain can't unsee it. Uh, that's what I love about awareness. All you need is a small moment of awareness. And if you'll keep looking within, it'll just keep growing. Now, usually some people uh, stop at some point and a lot of people never start. But that started for me in the parenting relationship. It took a few years uh, after that, probably like say one and a half to two years before it really spilled over into my marriage in a deep way. And and then there was an exchange. and, And I've told this story in different formats, but about painting the walls. And you know that story. And it's not about the paint. It's about me feeling insecure. And, and so I had a massive moment of awareness with, with my wife, small moment, but it led to a dramatic change. And, and that's what we're looking for. We're just looking to build momentum with our awareness. And it's just looking at motive. I have to, there's a lot of different ways people talk about it, but you know, like in a Buddhist way, I am more than my thoughts. Let me separate myself from this thought and look at it objectively, why am I engaging this? What's driving me? What am I getting activated by? Oh, I'm getting activated by taking her to lunch at three years old. So I can feel like I'm a good dad. Well, that's, it's an insecure approach.
1: That's to get, so I don't, I don't have to do that. Yeah. I was going to say, so people potentially, as they look at their, uh, What they dream about doing, what they dream about accomplishing, it sounds like they tend to have a selfish motivation. And so, if we can become aware and see that, which is the moments that happen to you, then we can start to change that into something that's not selfish. But I want to break this down in a really simple way. Like, let's put this as clear and simple as possible. Um, If I'm looking at my desire, understanding whether or not it's selfish or not. And then if it is how I talk myself through flipping that so that it is, uh, something where I'm pursuing it to help others first and foremost, and I'm removing myself from the equation. Cause that seems like a big part of it is removing your identity. You're yourself from, uh, whatever that interaction is. Can you give me like the, yeah. just a really simple, um, awareness, you see it, then you flip it. And then the new conversation that you have.
2: Yeah, totally. And, and just to emphasize, you know, some of these moments can happen in an instant and then sometimes it takes years to spill over into other areas or to deepen. So definitely, um, as far as like a quick shortcut, it it is truly about relaxing yourself. And this is going to sound weird because I think we totally misunderstand selfishness. Most of the people that rail against selfishness, you know, they're they're harping on people that are probably taking good care of themselves. Uh, and oftentimes I'll come beside a business owner who's not taking good care of themselves, who's running hard on the mission, the work, but them actually knowing who they are and carving out time for themselves is difficult, especially uh, like when when it's a startup situation, there's a, there's a martyrdom that they carry that identity in a false way. They think their identity is on the line, whether, they're, whether their company is successful or not. And of course it isn't, but that's something we falsely believe. So it does come down to actually making your day or moment or life look really selfish. But I mean it in a healthy way. What's going to help you calm your anxiety down? Is it going to be getting by a pool? Uh, in the sun, I love that. Running, reading, sitting by the fire—something um, where you go, okay. I'm not here to perform. I can't do anything wrong in this space. I don't have to get try to get people to like me. I don't have to try to get taken care of. I'm just I'm just here in this space. I just exist here. And whatever that is, when you get quiet like that, what's there? You're going to hear a lot. You're going to hear the pressure of, I mean, I can think of the most clear example of this. Um, some Eastern uh, clients I've had where they wanted to go into something artistic and, you know, China or Hong Kong and different countries where the father was like, well, you're not very good at that. You need to be an engineer. <laughs> and, and well, that voice is going to be really loud, right? Uh If you always read all the business magazines and you look at the covers and you go, look at how their lives are, I should make decisions this way. That's going to be really loud. So getting quiet and recognizing where do you need to strip away the voice of tradition? And where do you need to strip away the loud voices that you've given power to? And then what's there for your voice? And that's what you want to learn to hear. And I know that sounds woo woo and mystical and, uh, I can make it sound even more mystical, and I can make it sound even more scientific. It's just understanding the way the brain works and the chatter that's there. Um, But we've got to calm you down. Get off the hype train. Get off the hustle harder train so you can move effectively.
1: What do you hear? It's really about being selfish so that you don't have to be selfish. And I, th- yeah. I think that sort of um, makes sense because when you think about your hierarchy of needs, just in general, you can't really give back to people if you're fearful about safety, if you're fearful about when your next paycheck's coming in, when you're going to eat. And the the hard part that I feel like I've sort of seen firsthand is, can you get yourself to the place where you feel like you've got a million dollars in the bank even if you don't and that's i guess what i feel like i've been trying to practice on which is i do i am past the basic hierarchy of needs which i'm very like blessed and grateful to have especially just even being born in the us um But even in a time for me when money might be tight or those general fears come back up, you sort of need to calm down in a way that makes you feel like that's not the case. And so I guess that's the way I've been thinking about it. Some is just, can I function like all of my needs are met, even if they aren't? Or can I have that conversation in a way with myself that makes me feel at ease, like everything was taken care of, even if it's not. Because when the big problems hit, like being in debt or, um, you know, something major like that, it seems like that's sort of the space you need to be in.
2: Yeah. Well, I think for me, I would say it this way. Um, even even the Maslow's hierarchy, you know, I don't, I track with it obviously in some ways, but I don't track with it in some ways because, you know you can you can get below even at a deeper level and go all right why do i want a million dollars or why do i want time freedom uh, what what am I really being driven by? And and I look at it from an evolutionary standpoint. I do believe that, uh, well, we know that the brain processes everything through like a sense of identity, like who am I? And we're not actively conscious, aware of that processing. Kind of our level of processing from an evolutionary standpoint is, you know, am I going to get to sleep, sleep in the cave tonight? Do they like me? Or have has weird antisocial behavior gotten me on the outs with the community? Uh, and am I doing a good job? Like, do they think I'm delivering? Am I bringing in my haul of the woolly mammoth meat or whatever? And and our brains, you know, obsess over those two at a, at a very meta level. And just from people I've worked with, they tend to obsess towards one community or towards the other, the the performance and the doing. And and if we can get get your brain relaxed around that, you you don't have to even have your basic needs fully met. Like I don't know how uh, I'm going to have this happen next week, you know, whatever. I mean, I can tell you that launching into this full time, uh, because I didn't have a big exit. I mean, an immediate needs of of family to take care of. I've had to grow it where there were plenty of moments where I didn't know how next week was going to be much less the next day. And I had to keep my brain calm by understanding that, uh, it's going to be okay. And that calmness allows you to tap into creative reserves. It allows you to tap into your best problem-solving abilities. It allows you to, to develop your perseverance whether, rather than wear it down. And so for me, it is definitely all about getting relaxed. But it's getting relaxed internally, existentially, with who you are. And and learning how to drop down into the states that Buddhist monks hit from 20 years of meditation and the same state that a Red Bull cliff diver hits in 0.02 seconds. I, I don't have time to go sit in a monastery for 20 years. I don't want to jump off a cliff. I want to learn to drop down into that state every day. And and the way that I do that and the way that I help people do that is getting awareness of that identity and how to give themselves what they need internally so that they can go, okay. Now, let me show up to give in my mission and build the community that I'm going to be so excited
1: to be a part of. I think that's a great kind of place for us to uh, take a pause because I think we'll probably continue this conversation in the future with maybe diving in a bit more to how somebody can actually start to build um, that ability for themselves. I know you've got a coaching program that I've been through, a lot of my friends have been through that helps people do that if they want to go uh, deep into creating their own ability to not only recognize when desire is healthy but also pause um, and relax your brain kind of on command when you need to when things get tough so What I wanted to ask is just to kind of wrap up the show, uh, do you want to talk for uh, 30 seconds on the coaching program and then maybe just point us to one place or item that people can check out about your work?
2: Oh, yeah, man, that'd be awesome. I mean, obviously, hopefully they can tell by listening that working with me, they are going to be the best belly dancer of anybody they're connected to. (laughs) They're going to go to the next level. Um, but no, uh, probably the best place to say is just siteshift.com. And then there's a, the, the coaching tab is there if they want to dive into that. It's closed right now, but it'll open up again, uh, for February of 2018. Um, and they can jam with me through that process. It lays it all out there. Uh, and then You had mentioned this and super excited about thestuckbook.com and that book is like a meta level small bite into how to really understand where you are and what to do next. And of course you influence the title, pick the subtitle, pick this up when you don't know what to do next. Um, And just, I'll try to be as helpful as I can be to people when they reach out and uh,
1: go from there. Awesome. Well, I can link that stuff up. And thanks so much for uh, all the education over the past few years. And thanks for uh, sharing some of your knowledge on the show. Like I said, hopefully we'll have another conversation in the future about uh, a different topic here. Right on. Cool. Thanks so much, ma'am. Thanks, buddy.